Bonjour and welcome to the podcast version of Source Story, a video series for history teachers. Each episode of this series features a conversation around a primary or secondary source that teachers can use in their classrooms. Given that the original version of this conversation was held in English, so too is this podcast episode. Watch the video available on YouTube to see the details of each source and visit our website sourcestory.ca for resource links and lesson activities. Hi everyone, Dr. Samantha Cotrera here, the Principal Storytelling Officer for the Histoire Source Source Story video series, a video series for Canadian history teachers where myself or a French host, we get to talk with historians and creators and curators and archivists about a variety of primary and secondary sources and we ask what is the source? what is the story, and how can teaching with it challenge Canadian history. Our goal in this series is to be able to ensure that you have the sources to tell these challenging stories that you want to do. I know so many of you are doing such amazing work in your classrooms related to critical thinking and inquiry and exploring history, and we want to be able to ensure that you have some sources to be able to do that, as well as some stories that can kind of go along with the ways that your students are presenting and piecing together the histories they are creating through inquiry. Um, thank you as always for the views and the shares. We had such a great season last year and this this um, whole month, I mean this whole year of programming is amazing, but this whole month is so very exciting um, and I'm really, as always, <laughs> excited for today's video. Just um, before we begin, just a reminder that we are available on all these social media platforms, so make sure that you're following us following us. Um, also, just comment below. Like the video if you like it. Make sure you subscribe to our channel because we want you to join the conversation. So please let us know how you're thinking about using these sources in your classroom in the comments below. Um, we also have like full curated playlists for each video and the playlist that we have for this video is great because it also includes some animated shorts related to or kind of associated with the person that we're talking to today. So make sure you check that out. The other thing is, as always, our videos are available in both French and English with full subtitles if you cl uh, click uh, closed captioning below. So um, if you would like to access this conversation in French, you can do that. And if you wanted to access it with English subtitles, you're able to do that as well. Um, I think I might be missing something, but it's okay. We will just kick off because I am very excited for today's talk because we are talking with a second second author from this place. This place is this fantastic collection of indigenous storytelling in graphic novel format um, about the history of Canada, the 150 years retold, um, about the histories of Canada, both the ways that, the, because it's graphic novels, but also because they are stories that come from indigenous points of view, they are so rich at challenging Canadian history. Hey, Betty. And the fact that we get to, um, the fact that I've got to talk with two of the writers for the for the series has been amazing and we also had a bonus video with one of the illustrators and um, I've just really sorry um, are we gonna sit down um, and I've just been I just felt so excited but also really privileged to have these conversations so that's the first reason why I'm excited that we're talking about this place but the second reason I'm excited is because specifically we're talking with Brandon Mitchell who writes this fantastic um, story about the not the 1981 raids and um, but the raids leading up to that um, and it's really, really exciting to be able to hear about the fact that there are these histories that go before the histories that we learn about, or in this case, we might not learn about at all. So to to bring this story in from a Micmac pr perspective is just really fantastic. And the third reason why I'm really excited is because we are going to be talking about this history, the history before the history, but then also things like storytelling, Indigenous storytelling, comic books, animation, and like Brandon is just such high energy to be able to have another conversation about all of these elements together. I really hope that if you're not completely sold 
<laughs> on bringing graphic novels into your classroom, both as teaching tools, but also as learning activities and learning assessments. I, I, I can guarantee that this one will <laughs> sell you on it um, because he is such high energy. Let's go over to Zoom. Um, again, make sure you subscribe, like, comment if you would like. Use the subtitles if that is is great for you. Subscribe to also all our social media and uh, know that there are links below to learn more about Brandon and his work. But let's go over to Zoom and meet him for what I can only imagine will be a high energy and very exciting and entertaining talk. Brandon, hi. I'm so excited to be able to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Um, before we begin, can you introduce yourself? Well, Alan, thank you. I'm, I'm really grateful to be here too. So my name is Brandon Mitchell. I am Mi'kmaq from Listigooch, Quebec, and uh, I am one of the contributing writers to uh, this place, 150 Years Retold. My story is called Mi'kmaq Datum, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it. This is such a great collection, and I really appreciated the story that you told. But we're going to, before we get to the story in itself, our first question is, what is the source? And you have a source that's not actually covered <laughs> or that's not actually featured in the story. So what is your source? Source, there was a lot of sources in this story. Uh, but what I wanted to, um, one of the things uh, one of the main sources for this story was my mother-in-law. Um, when when the idea of this project uh, came about, um, I, I uh, approached my mother-in-law, Norma Jean uh, Martin, and uh, I was really excited. I was like, "I get it right about uh, I get it right about the salmon raids." And she's sitting on her uh, um, she's sitting on her chair uh, at the at the kitchen table, and she looks at me and she's like, "Good, good." And then she points at me and she says, you got to write about the first raid. And I was like, yep, that's what I'm here to do. I want to write about the first raid. Uh, thinking in my mind that it was the, the June 11th raid in, on, uh, in um, 1981. So we sat down. Uh, I asked her some questions about that day, or I thought I was asking questions about that day. Um, and uh, she gave me this really uh, fascinating story about how they um, uh, the community rallied together and pushed or were able to get the uh, SQ off the reserve in a nonviolent way. And I was really enthralled by this story. I was like, I've, I've never heard about this. And, and even in my research, uh, when I was researching the story, I was like, uh, I've never, this, 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 this never came up. And then, uh, so I started doing my first draft of the story and I'm writing about it, writing about it. And, and I was so happy about it. And I submitted that first draft. I wanted her to be the one to, re to read the first draft to make sure I captured the, the moment right. And she looks at it and she, she didn't even get past the first line. Uh, when I, when I entered, when I started the story with uh, June 11th and uh, she puts it down, she goes, this is all wrong. And I, and I was like, what do you mean? This is the first raid. I said, keep on reading. And she's like, yeah, this is the first raid. But it's, it, this didn't happen on, on June 11th. And I was like, this is everything that you told me. So like, yes, you have to write about the first raid. And I was like, well, what do you mean? I said, this took place the, in 1980. And that's when it kind of clicked on, a, or not clicked, but another light bulb went, in my, went up inside my mind. I was just like, well, what do you mean? There was more raids? I didn't hear about these other raids. And then she went into more detail about um, uh, how this was a reoccurring event. Every June, uh, the SQ would come in and uh, confiscate um, our equipment and try to force, try to stop us from exercising our, um, our treaty right to uh, harvest salmon. And that was where um, I had to uh, take a step back a little bit and try and ask not so much the right question, but ask the question, like ask more probing questions about what actually happened. Uh, what was the lead up to uh, June 11th in 1981? 
that's what got me more excited. I was like, okay, I need to know more. Like, what 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 happened? And uh, so, and that's when the question came. Not the question, but I was the revelation to me. Like, this was a recurring event. And 81 was the boiling point. Like, this is when it got, like, uh, uh, like everyone in the community had enough. Uh, but this was a reoccurring uh, event uh, every June. And um, in June of uh, 1980, they rallied together and were able to get the, uh, were able to peacefully, like I said, peacefully get the escort, the uh, SQ off of uh, uh land. So I found it really, really fascinating. And that's, um, so I had to go back and uh, it's just like, uh, it was one of those things where I was just like, okay, I got to ask the right questions. I thought I was asking the right questions, but I need to like dig a little bit deep, not so much dig a little deeper, but be more precise in my questioning. And, and uh, we sat down and we were able to uh, really collaborate on the, on this, the, on what happened leading up to uh, the events leading up to June 11th. Well, I, I love that you said, like, I have to ask the right questions because our questions come from our own narratives. And so when the narrative of just the 1981 raid is the one that is in your head, then it, it is very difficult to be like, well, did, what what happened? What about the other raids before this? Um, and uh, and so I really just like love that as a way to to kind of move forward with this um, this conversation. And I also just want to say, like, I've never heard this story before. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you and I are in the same boat. Uh, and like I said, when, when we started talking and then once, once that revelation hit that I was just like, so there were previous raids. And when I was writing the story some more and I was doing like the, the academic thing and doing the research, like trying to find papers and articles on, uh, previous raids there was very little written about previous raids and the thing what next to nothing uh a lot of my research was like if i found an article it was about 1981 and the only reference to previous raids was just that it was one sentence saying in previous raids and i was just like how can you that and that's what kind of like got me i wouldn't say it was upsetting but i was just like if the people they they didn't uh there should have been like a deeper dive into what was truly leading up to these things and what what happened in past events not just trying to condense you know condense it and literally condensing history into one sentence and i was just like okay uh that that's what was a little upsetting to me and i was like okay if i can have an opportunity to do uh some justice and preserving um and telling our story our perspective uh, that's what I was. That's that was my aim for this story. Yeah, we did a conversation. We did a public history event in June, and we a couple of the archivists talked a lot about, you know, colonial records and what that means for Indigenous scholars, Indigenous storytellers, Indigenous historians, and archivists who are trying to tell these broader stories. But when you're only pulling on colonial records or what is recorded in kind of a uh, colonial patriarchal like view of what a record is then yes it becomes consolidated to this one line and then all of a sudden it seems like it it came from nowhere um and so so thank you for starting with your mother-in-law's story as the the source to get into this that, that she was the catalyst for like i said not just the journey of the story but my own journey in relearning our history so um, i'm really grateful that she was able to share share that and uh uh help me i, I will use that term <laughs> and and being an, an editor for the story <laughs> or shadow editor for the story <laughs> shadow editors are the best <laughs> and right. i also yep. noticed that she is is referenced right on the first page now like in your in your uh, introduction, you definitely ground it with this source, which is really cool. Yeah, and, and that's really important. I think it's um, in my academic journey. Yeah, you, like you just talked about, like, you know, it has to be like vetted sources or not, not vetted, but it has to be like you're, you're the, the information is not valid if it's not published. This is this was an argument that um, I struggled with. Um, in terms of validating our stories because i was just like well it's not 
the way I was raised uh, and the way that I move forward too is um, uh, something that my parents install, installed into me too is that we've lost our way uh, and we're not thinking like Ilnu people. Mi'kmaq, we're not thinking, we're not thinking Ilnu. Ilnu is like our, like Ilnu is just another word for uh, for us, for Mi'kmaq. And, uh, and if we're not thinking Ilnu, then we're not, we're not, being only we're not we're not you know telling our stories the right way and we're not validating our our stories and so uh that's that was something in the back of my mind uh while i was writing this also like we need to i, I was it was i don't want to say it was a responsibility but i wanted to preserve um this story because another thing that was happening i remember growing up i remember when i was a little kid I would hear stories about the raid uh, and it was just kind of like snippets, but it was like different perspectives from different people like who are now like they're, they're now my uncle, like they're older, un my uncles and, you know, community members that are older now. Um, but everyone was talking very passionately about it in the 80s. And as time went on, we didn't hear those stories anymore. And as more time went on, nobody was talking about them anymore. And I was just kind of like, OK, and it, it, that just goes to show how fragile. Um, oral histories are like if you don't if you don't pass them on like the way they're supposed to be passed on uh that's how fragile they are and um and i saw this as uh an important opportunity to preserve uh what had happened not from an academic standpoint but from an ill news standpoint like you know like we were there like what did we see there and um and the other uh fascinating thing was so in my in the 90s we just we didn't hear nothing about it and in the 2000s i ended up moving to ottawa and i didn't really realize the impact or how big of a significant event the raids were because when i met other um indigenous people from across canada ottawa is kind of like this uh this place where you know we gather meeting uh, place it, yeah meeting place yeah meeting place I don't want to say it's where we gather, we reluctantly gather, maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, when people ask, you know, like uh, when older people would ask me, like, well, where are you from? And I say, well, I'm from Listigutch. And they're like, oh, I remember Listigutch. I was there. And But they're always telling it, like, you know, like I was there, man. And, and I was like, what do you mean? Like during the raids. And, they're, and they would talk vividly about, you know, like some of them were just like, I remember bringing salmon. I remember bringing supplies. I remember, you know, like bypassing uh, the provincial blockades to get in. And you know, making sure that uh, that we had proper um, supplies to keep us going, right? Uh, and I was like, "Wow, that this is fascinating!" Like, you know, so just getting this outsider, uh, an an outside Indigenous perspective, and what they remember, I was like, "This is so important. How come I don't know about this? Like, how come I don't know about these like on the ground stories?" Um, so this was. Uh, that that was one of the things that kind of stuck with me in the 2000s and and those stories always stood out to me because like i said when i when i mentioned to a particular generation where i'm from they always go back to 1981 and so that was really fascinating and 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 that's what i was it's never left me and then when this opportunity came i knew that i had to try and do something that would you know honor what i've heard it, uh, and since I've been since I've been around, the thing about the histories that happen in the '80s is that they are so present in how our lives are structured right now, and that it is also quite relatively, comparatively easy to to do oral histories and to gather documents to be able to tell these full stories, and to think that even in the course of five, 10, 15 years, the oral histories of this particular history, you know, kind of gets diffuse is really like highlights how important it is that we start talking more about things that are happening in the 80s and to really understand how valuable these oral histories are to understanding who we are in the present. Yes. I, I, and, and that's just it. Like I, um, I think it also goes back to placing value on our stories. It doesn't matter how old the stories are. We need to place value. Like we need to uh, recognize and put value on the stories that are being told. And it doesn't matter to me when it was told, like when these stories are being told or when it takes place. But yeah, like the, the, it's, it's almost like one of those, we take it for granted, right? Like the eighties weren't that long ago. 
like it's not that long ago for for us, but for those that actually like really grew up or in their pivotal years during that time, you know, they're they're in their you know for lack like late sixties, sixties and seventies, um, and even and so we're losing if we if if we're disconnected from uh, that generation, then that's how easy it is to lose any type of story. Really, not just the ones that have like hold like really big significance, but these other big events that have impacted us and have shaped who we are now, right? Like you, we just, I think we're in this weird era of like just t- kind of taking it for granted, or maybe like we're just bombarded with too much, and then I don't know. It's 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 a weird, it's a weird thing. Well, I think also because our, I mean, I, I as a. As someone interested in history, I hate saying this, but I feel like our communication tools changed very rapidly. And so to to think about like not having photographs on your phone, not being able to record things on your phone like right away makes all of a sudden this everything before that seem kind of blurry. But actually, there are a lot of rich sources, including stories um, to really highlight so much of that history especially because because it isn't told as as readily as a lot of other histories and I I know you hate the question uh, or the the statement like I've never heard this story before but maybe we could talk about the story itself our second question is what is the story to talk more about the 1981 raids so we go we went into a lot of detail about how I got the first part wrong uh, when I was able when I uh, when I was able to get my for lack of a better word, story straight, uh, I, I, I created a, a narrative flow. And my uh, mother-in-law was key in uh, being around for the first raid, uh, but she was also working at the band office leading up to June 11th. Um, and so I, I used a lot of her information, uh, or I asked her a lot about, like, you know, what do you remember about this time? And, and, how, and she told me about how chaotic it was um, and how... Uh, there was a letter that came from the province to, to cease. It was almost like basically a cease and desist. And uh, we had until June 11th. And if we didn't uh, comply, then that's when uh, they were going to come in in full force. Okay. So I didn't want to take away from existing resources. Uh, Alan as a bums away has done an excellent documentary called the incident in Restigush. And that was the, that was a really important documentary for me growing up. When I when I saw this documentary, I was like, "Wow, that was my first exposure um, visually uh, to what happened in Listigus." Uh, like I said, I was only uh, a year old. I, I wasn't, and, I, and my parents moved to um, Boston during the raids. Uh, so uh, that was a really important documentary, and I didn't want to take away from that. Uh, my focus for for this particular story was kind of like the prelude. I wanted to tell the story before the story, uh, and uh, and and I had so many excellent resources uh, and references. So I, I really leaned on my mother-in-law uh, because she was working at the uh, band office at the time, and she told me uh, another story about how they received a letter from the province uh, that had like a three-day warning, which was uh, basically cease and desist, uh, take your take your nets out, or else you have until June 11th. Uh, to do this so I really wanted to try and, and uh, show through the other stories that I was able to collect the environment the tension that was in the air and, and what was it like those days leading up to June 11th and um, I wanted to create a character because I because I was talking to a lot of people I didn't want I wanted to create a character that was um, that was kind of on the ground seeing all these things because no one person could have been at all these places all at one time. Uh, so I wanted to have this uh, one character uh, be present and see everything that I had heard. Well, I was going to say one of the things I love about, about your story in this place is that it just feels so people centric. And I love that you bring in characters that are young you know that can be so relatable for young people as readers as well and it really it really invokes a lot of emotion as well as kind of like 
anger and fear and like confusion and like all of those different emotions so clearly in the way you tell the story. And it is, I think it is such a interesting compliment to the other resources out there, but to really highlight the kind of like historical legacy of this particular raid. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah. I really tried to, I, when I was writing this, I was writing it, I was, I, anytime that I'm writing, I, I'm, I'm kind of selfish. I'm writing for myself <laughs> and I'm just lucky that people like what I'm writing. Um, but I really, I was trying to, uh, I, was, I was basically, it was kind of like, infusing a lot of myself my curiosity uh in into the character right and you know i remember ha i had a lot of questions growing up and 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 one of the things i was trying to infuse a lot of is the relationship i have with my father who would take me out swimming we, we wouldn't i'm not swimming sorry fishing we would go fishing uh uh along the he would go fishing perhaps you were going swimming yeah. <laughs> no it was very, very clear. Do not okay. disturb the water. Okay, right, right, right. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, when it was, we would get up early, and uh, but we weren't uh, net fishermen. We were uh, rod, so we, we would, uh, you know. So I, I remember a lot of the stories, and even just a lot of the times I was asking questions. Uh, you know, why, why are we out here? A lot of it was like I was tired because we got up super early. Uh, but these were great moments because you know I learned a lot about. Uh, the salmon cycle or even just the life cycle of the salmon like a lot of it was um you know just just this time that i had with my yeah like specifically cleaning the salmon like all these scenes like this is from my childhood like this was what i remember like you know we would catch the salmon and how we would i remember how he would uh, explain how to clean it uh the only difference is in the story it's by net but for us for my dad and i it was uh on the rod fishing rod um, but yeah, it was, uh, those scenes were really easy to write, <laughs> but it, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot about like, you know, like, well, what, what, what would I have said, or what would I have done seeing these things at that age? So, well, you can kind of get that. Like, I know that your, your age during this time and your age in realizing that you haven't asked the right questions is different than the like the, the main protagonist in the story, but you can really get that kind of sense of wonder and community with, with that. Why don't we go over to screen share and that picture that I showed, we can maybe look at a little bit closer. Sure thing. So this was, this was the page that I just showed. And again, one of the really great things about this story, and I mean, I think you see that throughout this place too, is like, it's not just about this one event. It is about people and all of the different elements of their lives and in which this is a meshed in. And yeah, and so this particular scenes are were very striking for that reason. And the fact that you're saying that you linked it right to your own experiences of your childhood, I think is just really extra special. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was really um I don't know. It's one of those things. I, I guess one of the, the one of those golden rules, right? Right about what you know. Uh, so this was like these. The, there were certain scenes that were just so easy to write because I was just like, I know that. Like I experienced this, and this this is going to fit so well into this story. And I really wanted to infuse um, my like. It's not just the experiences of what I heard or like you know what I what I was hearing. I wanted to infuse my experiences into this story as well right so yeah i was really happy with um uh, being able to i don't even remember writing this scene like it just seemed it was just so organic i was like i'm going to put this in here now <laughs> <laughs> well i think i actually kind of like the idea of like a fugue state <laughs> writing certain yeah. elements because you know this this video series is for Canadian history teachers and I always think about like activities and assessments and it's you know there's so much of an emphasis often on like um you know telling a story not necessarily that's objective teachers are doing a great job in identifying perspectives and subjectivities but to like not put yourself right into it and I think that kind of like making a narration to have you know in the middle 
now tell the story of like what a grandparent may have been doing at, at this, this kind of point really allows that connection to yourself um, in a really powerful way. And not necessarily with histories that are actually this personal uh, to you and to your community and to your nation. Right. And, you know, the other thing, too, for me, when I was writing, uh, this is the moment to preserve moments. Right. Like this is like I had an opportunity to preserve a moment that stuck with me, not just, you know, writing about something that has happened to our community. And and I think that's what I don't say that's what's missing in history. But you know what? It, it is about moments and it's about how do we find these connections like it, it, everything we, I think we take for granted. Um impactful moments in our lives and or we don't pay enough attention to those things that uh that stay with you and 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 even that line like it, it just it really brings me back because i do remember like i do remember like i don't i remember my dad always saying like you know like this part you don't cut this part if you cut it you're going to ruin the meat and that i was five years old when i heard that and it's still stuck like uh, it it takes me back to like just those little lessons those little moments uh, and it's so important that not just for for this story, um, but for anyone to really be mindful of key moments in your life and try to hold not try to hold on to them, but remember, like these were these are important things, and you know cherish those cherish those moments. Well, and that the moments that we might think of as like the big, impactful, significant moments, like weddings graduations you know those things it's it it those often are the ones that we create which are great but it's like these small moments of interaction where it's like really a piece of you gets like put into place like a piece of you gets built with these interactions and to situate it within a larger history is just so exciting so in my book that's for canadian history teachers i talk about how that students want connection, complexity, and care in their history teaching. And I, and for me, one of the things that I do love about the story is the way that you bring in the connection with these complexities, that it's not just connection for the sake of connection, it's to really demonstrate the complexities of, of, of the situation and of these interactions. And it, like, it's, I don't want to insinuate that your story is complex. I want to say that in its simplicity, you are bringing up such complexities that I think is really powerful. Uh, <laughs> and that's my animation <laughs> background. Like that's the, like okay. that, I love it. I, I really love it when I hear people say like, and I don't take it, like I really love it when people say like, you know, like how did you get something so comp? Like how did you do something that looks so simple, but it's so it's making me think or it's so profound. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> 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 Brandon is the best interviewee that we'll have. We'll just use that clip in all of our promotions. How did it get so great? <laughs> it goes back to like, being a good storyteller too though right like i remember like the like the stories that i grew up with were often the simpler stories and how they were told to me uh it's it's the nuances right and i picked up on those nuances it's the nuances that bring out that complexity that, that i think students are looking for and i think that we really need to better understand in order to tell histories that do more decolonizing work and so I mean, that's another element of this, right? Like that nuance also ensures that we understand these stories that are not covered in textbooks. Right. And uh, this, I'm leaning really heavily on storytelling and how I tell stories and how stories are told to me. And um, and I remember just being this avid they probably I probably wasn't remembered as an avid listener, but I was really an avid listener whenever I would hear stories from uh, my grandparents or my even my great grandparents and my parents. Whenever it was story time, I'd be sitting there like, "Oh my god, I'm getting a story," and it didn't matter what the story was. I was just eager to hear them tell a story, and the and they would tell stories in such a simple fashion, 
but I was always listening to the complexity. Like there was other layers in the, in their stories, and and the hardest part was trying to translate that. Like how do I translate the nuances, like the the, the just the subtleties that they were telling their stories, and how do I try and translate that in uh, in a written format? The great thing is it's so it's a lot easier to do in a graphic novel format or a visual format um, because it kind of blended my background as studying as an animator. So I went to school for animation and all the tips and tricks that they that that we were um, uh, told in school really lends itself to uh, I find indigenous storytelling like that like it was so easy for me to connect to these methodologies uh, in animation because I was just like it's about um, it's about what you don't see it's about or it's about what you don't hear or you know it's it's like what what are you explain everything it's what do you see and what how is the character um, what's the character saying with their body as opposed to what are they trying to what are they trying to say versus what is their body saying and those little things were so easy to me to write. I was I was like to be descriptive in that fashion. And the other key thing too was being able to work with somebody who was an animator. So Tara Otterbert, who is super phenomenal, um, is amazing. I can go on and on about how great Tara is. We went to school together. Uh, she graduated before me. Um, she's Wolustigwaik, and Wolustigwaik are kind of like first cousins to Mi'kmaq so we're very close in uh identity we're very close like you know so when I proposed this idea to her uh I was like I've got I'm I'm gonna do this book or I'm gonna do this story and that and at the time that was our sixth or our seventh story together and uh when I told her what I was working on uh she was all in and uh, I was like, I don't want to work with anybody else. Like, this is a story that we need to tell, right? And uh, I trusted her fully uh, because we've worked together before. And um, we both understand the language of animation. We both understand the language of story, visual storytelling. So it was really easy to, when I was writing my script, I knew it was in good hands. And I trusted her completely in terms of what I was looking for. Um, but it was so funny too because she was just like, "This is a, this is a really great story. Uh, like, like where did this come from?" Or like she thought it was a fictional story, and then when I told her like this really happened, she was her mind was blown. She couldn't like so we're still in, in this era of this like you know like I didn't like we have like people still say like I don't know and and I gotta be and then you know I was like yeah this really happened and she was just like blown away. Uh, so, you know, it was, uh, I knew that we had to tell this story and I knew that this was a great, like, it, it, I guess it didn't dawn on me how important the story was <laughs> even after I was like, like, Oh, I'm just going to keep on writing and just see what happens. And <laughs> oh, it's great. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I really I really really loved it really resonated to me uh, that you were drawn to visual storytelling animation as a way to align with indigenous storytelling not because I'm indigenous or I I, I profess to know that tradition um, in any kind of you know deep deep way but in really highlighting all the kind of nuances that you don't just see in the text and um, I just yeah that really resonates like I wrote an article and I did a video actually on the Louis Royale um, Chester Brown graphic novel because although it was really, you know, highlighted as like this decolonizing book, when I read it, I was like, this is the most sexist thing I've ever read. <laughs> like when you were looking at all of the different cells, like there are no women anywhere. And Red River and Metis women in this tradition is it is is totally missing and it's so it's interesting that you can bring up so much more of that nuance and emotion which you definitely can do in your story but then there's also a lot of opportunities to kind of critically examine the visuals to highlight things that are missing right like missing in, and that make <laughs> that make people angry <laughs> <laughs> well and it's uh yeah it, it's 
there's a lot of I think there's a lot of responsibility uh on in well not not so much visual but there's this opportunity, right? Like this is all about opportunity uh, on what and there's still a dangerous not so much it's dangerous, but I mean like you just said, right? Like the responsibility is representation. There's still a responsibility to representation and then what what does inclusivity mean? Um who's in the like so it's just as important in animation like who's in the frame who's you know like what's being shown to the reader um and and then i this is why it's so important to i don't like i said i don't i don't want to this might sound bad but i hate thinking (laughs) no no that's the one we're going to use as an audio clip to promote yes we shall yeah we're gonna Two of them like, eh, and I hate thinking. That's it. That's all you yeah. need to know about this video. <laughs> <laughs> That's Brandon in a nutshell. Eh, I hate thinking. <laughs> Tune in tomorrow. <laughs> Tune in tomorrow for another eh, non-thinking video. <laughs> That's our specialty here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you want to tune out? Hire Brandon. um but i like i i guess i don't like i i tend to overthink and what i find with my writing or even when i'm starting to draw i like to simplify or try to simplify and but in 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 an important way like i want to get rid of the clutter uh what was what's been great with collaborating with tara has been able to bounce off of each other like we've had a, a working relationship for the last 15 years uh so when i say that i trust i trust her i really do like there's a lot of i like there's a lot of insecurity as a writer also um but when you have such a great relationship um like the scariest thing for me is like can you read my thing and tell me if it's good um it's because your mother-in-law will be like no it's not good (laughs) exactly exactly when you can get like you know if you can survive that, I think after that, I was just like, here, read it. You like it? I don't care. <laughs> I've already got the, I already had like a, my work destroyed <laughs> by my mother-in-law. You got nothing on me. <laughs> I already know it's terrible. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> but to be able to have that relationship, like I still get like, you know, I'm still like, uh, when I, when I'm, when I hit or when I write that end and then I submit it. Uh, or even when I give it to Tara, like I, like I, uh, I know it's in good hands, but it, you know, it took 15 years to build that, uh, that trust or even like even 20, like, you know, I, we knew each other beforehand, but we didn't get a chance to work with each other. Um, but to have that, that reassurance that I knew that she was going to do an excellent job, uh, uh, you know, like it was just one of like, it, it was to me a no brainer. So, um, yeah, I was just really, uh fortunate i'm really fortunate with the people that i've been able to surround myself with <laughs> who may or may not be thinkers who may or not be? <laughs> yeah. um before we move to the last question are there any particular like cells or illustrations from the story that you want to highlight to maybe showcase your collaboration with tara so the old man uh, he's, this is the story that my mom told, like he really took the ax, like he, there was a line of people and he, uh, he confronted the, the line of SQ officer and he did pretty much draw that line in the sand with his ax right on the road. Uh, so this was a really important, and it was a tough scene cause I wanted to make sure that it was, uh, done right. Um, uh, and to like, there was a lot there was a <laughs> endings are tough. I don't care. Like any endings are tough on any for, for me, um, uh, or for any project, I think. Uh, but this one was, uh, trying to find that right ending and, um, this was the, this particular, these last few panels were, were tough to write. Um, not just visually, to like to visually convey it, but also to show the exact weight of what was happening. And 
especially that last uh, the last panel right like where um where the the cops do cross that line um the tension like it was just like it was there and it was um how it was conveyed and how she visualized it um was literally it was how i envisioned it so you know it was uh i don't know it was no it was it's tough to write it, it's so it striking was, of course it's tough to yeah. write there's no text right and like as a writer you you work with text right so to be able to collaborate with someone that really understands like the significance of that line and like the weight of that like even just this panel right here like yeah it's so like will they won't they um but because this one's bigger you already you you already know that they do but it's just a really beautiful balance um yeah thank you for highlighting this as a as a way to talk about that collaboration and also yeah. like again these and I, I i think too of like stuff about the the oka crisis the resistance right like these types of images too are just really striking yeah and uh, and i didn't want to take away from like i don't know like it was just it was i want i wanted to be impactful and and here's the other thing too like it might be a couple like when you're writing a script there's you're still writing it right so how right, do you right. write it <laughs> and then write it in a way that's uh that the illustrator can convey it properly right so there was a lot for me to like okay there's a lot weighing on on these panels right so um but once again this goes back to trusting uh trusting the trusting the process trusting uh your like when you collaborate with right people it's just trusting everybody right so there was a lot there was a lot of trust uh in not just the story but even like you know the, the weight of of the ending of the story yeah yeah no i can see that thank you for highlighting that i really appreciated you talking about that trust and that relationship i got to talk with scott henderson who did the illustrations for richard van camp's work in here but they've also done other collaborations and scott has worked with um uh, David Robertson as well and Scott's non-Indigenous and so it was we did a little bonus video and it was so cool to just like hear from an illustrator's point of view what that process is and like the responsibility that he feels to you know to like convey a history that he doesn't know in the same way that for example you and Tara work together so anyway that's just a plug for that conversation but um, although I guess like Tara's invited too. <laughs> We can do other bonus conversations. Um, but to wrap up this, because this has just been so fantastic, um, our last question is, how does this challenge Canadian history? And I use like this, how does this, in a very broad way, because it could be like this history. It could be the fact that the 1981 raids is what we hear, but but there is a history before that that we don't hear. It could be like, how do we use your mother-in-law to challenge Canadian history? But it could also be about like the storytelling of it and the animation of it itself. So as just a way to kind of conclude, do you have any thoughts about how this, this is broad, uh, can challenge Canadian history if uh, teachers bring it into their classrooms? Uh, I I think it challenges challenges can well this place is an important piece of work um the authors the illustrators everybody uh that participated in this book um once again i for one uh knew that we were doing something special i just didn't know how special it was going to be uh and there was a lot of responsibility and fear on my part like i didn't want i didn't want to mess this up um but the other the the other factor was the placing of value i think my, my key takeaway from from my contribution and and the things that i do is i hope that this sparks uh curiosity i didn't want to be the spokesperson i didn't want to be the one that says like you know uh uh this is what it's like i wanted that i wanted the reader to be able to say like you know i didn't like the same thing with me hopefully when i was doing the research for this there were so many things i didn't know I want that. I want that same feeling for the reader. Like, like I didn't know about this. I want to learn more, and so I hope that you know this challenges people to think differently. Uh, no, 
and be critical about where they're uh, how they're getting their information and where they're getting it from, and also the place um, value on oral history. And it does this is not just from an indigenous lens, but placing value on all oral history. Like you know, like there's just different ways of preserving uh, our stories, right? And and our stories, regardless of the um, uh, of when they take place, they have merit. So placing merit on our stories. Uh, that's that's my takeaway and hopefully my challenge to to readers. I I love that. I think that's such a perfect way to I think that's a really thoughtful, complex way to end this conversation. So thank you so much for chatting with me today, for sharing this history with us, for sharing your mother-in-law with us as well, and your relationship with Tara and all of those different pieces. Um, yeah, it was just, this was really fun and uh, really informative and complex and not eh, at all. So thank you. Well, Alan, thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know what? I, I had a lot of fun too, so. Great, great. Well, until next time, um, uh, thank you again. And, um, oh, sorry, how can people get in touch with you? How can people oh. learn more about your work and everything like that? <laughs> oh, here's a shameless plug now. Uh, so I'm I mean, on Instagram. <laughs> the whole thing is, right? So yeah. no shame. Yeah. Plug away. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've done, I've, uh, so as mentioned before, uh, this is not my first uh, kick of the can at this. I've been writing for uh, 15 years. Uh, I've been creating for over 20 years. Uh, you can see a lot of my uh past projects uh, at birchbarcomics.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram uh, at writer Brandon Mitchell. And uh, yeah, you can get my, you can order this place uh, through any bookstore. And you can also look for my latest book, Juju's Gift. Uh, it's on chapters in Amazon as well. All those links are down below. It was wonderful again. Thank you so much. Well, Alan, thank you very much. Bye. This series is a collaboration between Historic Spaces, an educational consultancy, and Glennon College York University. This series has been made possible by the Government of Canada.